If I just didn't answer the question, but just said, hang on, we're going to get there. And we just kept on driving. And we kept on driving. And two hours into the drive, after the 20th time hearing the question, where are we going? I pulled the car over and looked at the family and said, actually, we're not going anywhere. And I turned the car around and drove two hours back home. You think people would be happy in my car? Now, I don't know if we started driving somewhere, and after we were going for a little while, I decided, okay, I'm going to tell them where we're going. And I said, we are going to this particular ice cream store. Now, if I told them the destination as we are pulling into the parking lot of this ice cream store, if everybody in the family was not really excited about where we are going when I actually told them where we are going, after we had already arrived then there would be some disappointment. Because if I don't tell them where we're going and we get there, wherever we get, better be a place they're all excited about or I'm going to be in big trouble. What if on the way of going, I communicated to my family, okay, I'm ready to tell you where we're going. We're an hour into the drive, but in about 15 minutes, we're going to be at the National Beekeepers Conference. I can tell you this, only one person in the car would be excited at that moment. They would be so mad at me, they would say, why didn't you just leave us at home? Now I tell you that because we all, we all want to know where we're going. In one degree or another, every one of you have gotten into the vehicle of our church. So I want to tell you where we're going. I want to start with telling you about this last week. This last week, your six directional team pastors. Now that terminology might be new to some of you, so let me explain what that means. Our directional team of pastors, the pastors that you have called to offer a plurality of leadership over our church family for our benefit, for our protection, for our teaching and understanding the truth. That directional team of pastors who are charged with oversight and leadership. We all got together. There's six of us. Our worship pastor, Kurt Prater, who you saw up here this morning. Our care pastor, David Griffin, sitting right down over there. Our formations pastor, Kurt Sparkman. Our family pastor, Brett Levi. Connections pastor, Chad Warren. Our whole directional team got together with six other members of our church family. So the 12 of us carved out two full days together. And we sat under the leadership of a consultant from an organization whose purpose is to help churches plan and prepare for a destination. It was an incredible time together. As we thought together and dreamed together about what God wanted to do in us, where he might want to be taking us as a church family, it was an incredible time together. We felt the presence of the Lord. We felt the direction of the Lord. And honestly, I walked away from the experience a little bit scared, a little bit overwhelmed, very excited. 
really looking forward to what God would do. Enthusiastic. Eager. You see, I want to be a part of a church family that experiences something that as we get on down the road in the years of our lives, we can all look back on with awe and wonder that God in his kindness allowed us to be a part of that something. God has a destination for us. And I want us to have clarity about where we are going. So, so our team, our vision team, we've, we've got plans. We, we see the strategic direction unfolding before us. And we're excited about sharing that with you starting over the next four weeks in this vision series. And then through the year, through 2019, as we unfold some of the ways God is leading us in different levels of leadership and communication in our church family so that we hit 2020 and we cast this fully revealed vision 2020 for where God is leading us the next year, the next three years, the next 10 years. So that we understand our destination. And we can decide as a church family if we're going to pursue that destination. I'm excited about it. And I want to think together this morning about just a little bit about where we've come from over the last four years. So in 2015, in the middle of the year, I came into this church family. A church family of over 150 years of history. 150 years of many people through generations sacrificing so that today, right here, we can enjoy this moment, this opportunity, right here, right now. I walked into this place in the middle of 2015, and in, in just a couple of months after being here, we launched this little initiative called Love Where You Live. Do you remember that? Love where you live, where we wanted to make sure we loved the people around whom we live. Now, to be honest with you, I was still trying to figure out if I really loved where I lived. Still new. We were trying to find our way. By the end of 2015, as we launched 2016, I shared my very first vision sermon with our church family. You remember the three waves that we were asking the Lord for that year in 2016? We were asking the Lord for a wave of unity, a wave of generosity, and a wave of disciple-making. We said, Lord, did you do that this year in our church family? And as I've reflected back on 2016, I can tell you that God has poured over us a wave of unity. Our pastoral leadership team and our ministry leadership team is as unified as I could have imagined and more. God has worked in a marvelous way to build a team that's on the same page. We love working together. We love serving together. And we think it is amazing that God has called us to this privilege of here being here with you and following the Lord together. I just encourage you to ask any one of our team members about that wave of unity that we're experiencing. It's amazing. 
And I believe it is trickling down into our church family in a fantastic way. We asked for a wave of generosity since 2016. Do you know that our giving has increased over 14%? That's a wave of generosity. But I'm going to tell you, we still have almost $4 million of debt. I would just love to see a wave of generosity so sweep us that we wipe out that debt and we are debt free and we are able to leverage all that we are for the cause of Christ in expanding the kingdom of God. We ask the Lord for a wave of disciple making. Now I want to tell you, I think we've seen a ripple like you throw a little pebble into a pond and you see a little ripple. I think we've seen some ripples of disciple making, but we are yet to see a wave of disciple making. I would love to see God so bless us that we are able to bring many people to Christ in our community. You think about where we live. We live in Williamson County. Over 550,000 people right here. And in Williamson County, people are coming here from all over. Still one of the top five fastest growing counties in our state. People are coming to us by the bus loads. Wouldn't it be great if we could reach thousands of people that are coming right here with the name and wonder of Jesus Christ? At the end of 2016, we, we needed to clarify our vision because we want to see people reached for the cause of Christ. And so in 2017, we launched an initiative. And through that initiative, do you know what's become our common language? The beginning of 2017 is when we began to use the phrase, love God, love people, and help others do the same. That's when that became common. Because what we really wanted is for our church family to become a fragrant aroma of the presence and person of Jesus Christ. So the people around whom we live would see Christ in us and say, we want to know that Savior. We want to see people come to know Christ. And so we've decided we want to be a people who love God, love people, and help others do the same. In 2018, we launched a vision of new life in Christ. Do you remember that series? We did new life in Christ series, then we did a prayer series, then we did an Advent series, and all sprinkled in between, we did a whole lot of revelation. Remember some of that? A whole lot of revelation. As we unfolded all of that in 2018, you know what we began to see? We began to see a change in the kind of culture our church family wanted to cultivate. We we want to cultivate a culture in our church family where the broken experience restoration, where the lost are found, where people who need new life meet Jesus Christ. As we begin 2019, I want to, through this Sunday and the next four and then through the year and then launching fully in 2020, I want to unfold before us as God leads us a strategic vision for accomplishing 
the destination to which God has called our church family. God has a mission for us. And he wants us to follow him into the destination he has uniquely assigned our church family right here where we live in Williamson County. I love this land. I love where we live. It's a fantastic place to live and a lot of other people think it's pretty cool. That's why they're moving here. And God has presented us an opportunity to be a part of seeing a wave of his glory sweep through us into Williamson County and beyond. I want to be a part of that story. And I want our church family to understand clearly where it is the Lord is leading us. And so this year is the year of vision planning, vision preparation, and vision communication so that we take steps forward and we are completely ready to follow God's plan. So today I want to answer this question. Where are we right now? Where are we right now? I want to do that by looking at the scripture in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. You remember last Sunday when we wrapped up our 1 John series, the final charge out of 1 John was to guard ourselves from idols. We're going to pick up a story in Acts 17 of when the Apostle Paul was in Athens. He was hanging out in Athens, exploring the city while he waited on some friends to meet him there in Athens. As he explored the city, he was just overwhelmed by the amount of idolatry that was happening in Athens. He was troubled in his spirit and as he was exploring the city, he began to share with people about who Jesus Christ was so that they might leave their idolatry and instead find a new life in Jesus Christ. As he was sharing about Christ through the Athens community, some individuals invited him to come to a place where they would share new ideas and and the thinkers of the city and the community would hear new ideas and they discussed those ideas. And so Paul was invited to go there and share about these stories of God and this man named Jesus Christ. We pick up the story in verse 22 when Paul stands up To share his story. Then Paul stood in the middle of the Oropagus. And he said, men of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship. I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance... This I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord, heaven and earth, and does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth, 
and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Being God's offspring, then, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. When Paul began to speak the Oropagus in Athens, he began by telling them who God is. Look at verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. Paul makes it clear that God is in control. That we do not control him. We don't build a house in which he has to come and live. We don't build an image in which he has to come and dwell and work through. God is in control. And he is absolutely the one who has provided everything we need. Without him we have nothing. He is the reason we have life. He is in complete and total control. And he is not in the position of answering to us. He has placed us in the position of seeing that he is the one that controls all things. He is the creator and he has made every single one of us. And he has placed every single one of us where we are, when we are, and everything we need is found. In him. That's what Paul tells him. And he tells him that God is this way because this is God's plan. And then he informs them, You are this way because this is God's plan. Here's who God is. Now I want you to see in light of who God is, who you are, and what his plan is. Look, look at Look at verse 26. From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. God did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him. God has orchestrated where you live, when you live, Because he wants you to recognize who he is, that you need him, 
and that everything you have is from him and that your very breath for life is a gift that he's granted you so that in knowing that he has set everything as it is, you might decide to seek after him. That you might decide to search for him, to reach for him, to grope for finding who he is and actually find him. God has put you where you are, when you are, so that you might seek after him and find him. And we do a lot of seeking. Paul affirmed the Athenians for their seeking. I can look around all of Athens and I can see that you are searching for God. The problem is not your searching. The problem is that as you search for God, you have found it far too easy to accept things that are temporarily satisfying and you've decided to worship creation at the expense of finding the creator. Idolatry. The problem is not the searching. God designed us to search for the satisfaction that only comes through knowing him. He's designed us to be that way. You, that's why you, why you can look at every culture across the globe and you will find people looking for something better because frankly, no one wants something worse. We all want something better. God has designed us to pursue and long for something better and we are looking and what we find if it temporarily satisfies often satiates our appetite for God just long enough that we erect an image of idolatry and we pursue that at the expense of finding God. And Paul stands up in front of the Athenians and said, you've stopped short. You were not designed to worship idols. You were designed to find God. And right where you are, Right now, in your current life circumstances, right where you are in the community in which you live, right when you live, is the perfect opportunity to find God. Because God is your creator and everything you need and have comes from him. He sustains you every moment of life. That means that right where you are in this moment is the perfect moment to find him. You may say, well, wait a minute, my my moment right now is not a good moment. My life is chaotic. My life is out of control. No, 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 your life is not out of control because your life right now is the perfect moment for you to seek and find God. It doesn't matter what your moment is. It doesn't matter how broken you are. It doesn't matter how great your life is. It doesn't matter how poor your life is right now because of who God is. Because God wants you to find him. This moment right here and right now is your moment to find him. And there's only one way to find him. Only one. Look at verse 27, the end of it. God is not far from each one of us. 
You're looking for him, and he is not far from you. For in him we live and move and exist, even some of your poets have said, for we are his offspring. Being God's offspring then, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because God has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ whom he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. There is one way to find him and this is our moment. And the way you find God is repentance. There's no other way. What does it mean to repent? To repent means that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died and rose again from the dead, proof that He is the Messiah. That you believe He's the Messiah and there is no way for you to receive forgiveness of your sins and the gift of eternal life except through believing in Jesus Christ. It's about believing in Jesus Christ. And because you believe in Jesus Christ, you recognize that you have not lived as He intended you to live. See, God created you. He has the life He wants you to live. None of us live that life. We always seek after something else, even though we're really looking for God. And the moment we find God through our faith in Jesus Christ, we realize just how far we've drifted into finding everything else that we thought could satisfy us. And we come to believe in Jesus Christ, we confess those drifts, those departures from following and seeking after God. We, we, we confess those times of selfishness. We confess those times of doing it our own way. We confess those times of rebellion against who God is. We confess our sins because we believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. And through our confession, we experience the forgiveness of all our sins. And God sends His Spirit to live with us so that we never have to be without the presence of God again. And the rest of our lives is about every moment of finding Him again and again and again. We confess our sins to Him. He forgives us of our sins. And He comes and He lives with us so we're never alone again. And guess what we get to do as we align our lives with Him and what He says? We get to leave behind some of that sin we confessed when we met Jesus Christ. When we find Jesus Christ, when we see Him, He's going to oftentimes reveal things to us that don't line up with who He is and what He says. We just confess those sins and leave some of those sins behind more and more for the rest of our lives so that we, in repentance, are simply aligning our lives through the power and presence of God with who He is and what He says in the Bible so that we are once again restored to living the life we were created to live. And there's no better life than living the life you were created to live. You know, we all have some, some obstacles to repentance in our lives. 
It's not easy to repent. I think about obstacles to repentance kind of like a jar. We talked about this this last week in our vision workshop. You can take a pumpkin seed and you can plant it in a jar and that pumpkin will grow inside that jar, but it will not grow beyond the size of that jar. You can have a jar with a pumpkin inside of there and that pumpkin is going to be restricted in its growth by the jar in which you planted it. And the sad thing about that is that pumpkins weren't intended to grow inside of jars because when they put in jars, they will never become what they're really created to become. Our obstacles to repentance are kind of like jars. And if we stay in those jars, we'll never become who we're created to become. You know, one of the jars that we struggle with is image cultivation. You see, if you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you've got to admit your need for Him. When you admit your need for Him, you're admitting that you have failed. You're broken. And frankly, sometimes it's hard to admit brokenness, isn't it? Sometimes we'd rather cultivate an image that we're not as needy or as broken as we really are. But coming to Jesus Christ requires that we unveil just how needy we are for Him. Another jar is fear. Fear. We're afraid to trust because we've been let down. We're afraid to love because we've been betrayed. We're afraid to entrust our life to another because when we tried before with somebody in our life, it resulted in so much hurt We can't imagine trusting anyone else. Fear. You know, sometimes it's a jar of just living the life that you have and not being willing to change and live a life you're created to live. As crazy as that sounds, sometimes we find that the life we have is a lot more comfortable than changing and accepting a life we are meant to live. We just like the way our life is. We, like, we have a preference for no change. And sometimes our own preferences for keeping our lives the way they are can keep us from repentance. But as long as you live life in a jar, you will never flourish the way God created you to flourish. Here's the good news. God is not far from you. And he wants you to find him. He's ready to take you out of that jar of image cultivation or fear or desire for your own preferences in life. And he is ready to set you on a path of a destination for which you were made. That's the kind of life I want us to live. The life we are created to live. And it all begins right here, right now. 
I want to tell you just briefly about my story, just a little piece of my story back in 2014 of finding God. I was trucking along in my life, just normal, finding God along the way, here and there, adjusting my life to Him. And uh, man, I felt really good about how my life was going. And then I found God one day in East Asia, visiting a friend. And when I found God on that day, I began to sense that God might be leading me to a new land. I began to seek the Lord and try to surrender to Him and trust Him and that impression upon my heart. As God began to open opportunity for a new calling on our lives later in the spring of 2015, March of 2015, for the very first time, Lindley and I came together to Georgetown to walk on the land. I think we walked maybe eight or ten miles that day, just getting a feel of this place. We, we went to places to eat here. We asked people, about their impression of the community. We asked people about this church family. We were interested in the land and the people. I can remember going back to our room that day and I was so afraid. I was so afraid to follow the Lord. And I was reading in Numbers 13 and 14. And the Lord used that passage of Scripture to remind me of Joshua and Caleb. And how the Lord said to Joshua and Caleb, you don't need to be afraid. Because I will be with you. And I will do everything you need to go into this new land. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. You can follow me. And I knew I had to make a decision, would I get out of the jar or would I stay in the jar? Later in April, as I was praying for God to bring confirmation in our hearts about this decision to go to a new land, I wrote in my journal, I can't believe how amazing it is where we live. I wrote about how much I loved our church family in Abilene. How much God had done. How much blessing we had experienced. How incredible it was to be in a place for as long as I'd been there. And the fruit that was coming out of my life, in my life, from that. And I began to feel those jars restricting me. Fifteen years of history in one place. I had deep relationships. I had so much credibility and opportunity. I had an image. I'd been really successful, and I was scared 
of failure. Fear. And Lee and I wanted to raise our children, all of them, in one place. I'd had visions of sitting on the front porch with men I'd raised my kids with when we were old and gray and thinking of all the years we got to do life together for the glory of God. I had preferences. But God was asking me to leave. And he used a passage in Deuteronomy to encourage me. It's a passage that describes Israel. It says, says to Israel, if you're disobedient, you don't follow me, here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to make your way back to Egypt, a different way than I brought you out. And when you get there, you're going to try to sell yourselves back into slavery and you're not going to find a buyer. And God just reminded me, as much as I have allowed Abilene to be your promised land, if you stay there one day longer than I've called you there, it will become your Egypt. I'm calling you to a new land and a new people. You need to follow me. And so we did. And I am so glad we did. You know what? Southside and Abilene is flourishing for the glory of God. One of the elders of the church told me, you know, you tried to do something for 15 years. And this new guy walked in. He said the same thing you've been saying, and now they're doing it. Go figure. They are thankful. For you. And I am thankful that this is our new land. And I want to be a part of a church family that believes with everything we are that this land, Williamson County, is our land to bless for the glory of God. That's what I want to be a part of. That's why God brought me here. That's why you're here. This is not only my right here, right now moment. This is our right here, right now moment. God has placed you where you are, when you are, so that you might find him. So find him. Bust out of that jar, whatever it is, and surrender your life to him. Find him. That's a call to respond. To really respond personally and individually. You know, Paul had people respond at Athens. You know, there were three responses at Athens. One response was, you got to be kidding me. And they mocked him and made fun of him. One response was, that sounds really interesting. Could I hear some more? And one response was, believe and repent. Only one group that day found God. If you're here this morning, I want to encourage you, do not sneer. 
because God will not be mocked. And he has placed you where you are, when you are, to find him. If you do anything this morning that's not repentance, I pray that you would keep coming and listening and finding out more about the God who has placed you where you are, when you are, to find him. But I hope that every one of us in this room today is ready to respond with believing and repenting and aligning your life with him because he alone knows the destination for which we were created. And if we will find him, we will find where we are going. But we will never find where we are going if we don't first, each one, find him. And he is not far from us. Clint Gresham played six seasons with the Seattle Seahawks. Right before this last Super Bowl, he released an article with Fox News about his experiences with the Seahawks. He won a Super Bowl with the Seahawks. He lost a Super Bowl with the Seahawks. You know what he realized? When he won the Super Bowl, and he'd gone through the, the parade and the, and the cheers and the excitement about two weeks later. You know what he realized? That wasn't what I was looking for with my life. He lost a Super Bowl. You know what he was reminded of? There's far more to life than my heart longs for than a win at a game. Clint Gresham found what we're all looking for. He found Jesus Christ. And he's living his life for him. We're all looking for God. He wants us to find him. This is your right here, right now moment. Please don't miss it.